Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Get into it! He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose. What's up, losers, and welcome to Losing Money with Andrew Bascom. My name's Andrew Bascom, and for 106 episodes, we've helped you lose money on everything. It's a sports gambling podcast where we get as much info as possible in about 20-ish minutes. On this episode, we will be discussing our favorite ways to lose money on UFC 272, the NFL Combine, yes, seriously, and an interesting NHL stat that has been helping us win money. Ooh, an interesting stat. A sizzling take. And of course, a recap and record check at the end of the show. But let's go with bet number one. UFC 272. Yes, UFC 272. Former friends and training partners. We'll see Covington and Masvidal square off in a main event on Saturday in what should be a fast-paced contest. Uh, If you've heard this podcast before and we talk about MMA, you know, pretty much every time it comes up because we do pretty well on it. Uh, We found it to be a pretty profitable sport for us to be betting on. Um, But man... These are the kind of cards, you know, we have the gambler on every once in a while. And these are the kind of cards that we talk about where you go like, oh, this kind of sucks, doesn't it? You know, we, what the whole point of the sport is to see the two best at what they do face off. This isn't that. <laughs> this is two people that like selling fights. And I will say, oh my God, this fight does kind of sell itself. Like I said, they're former friends, they're former training partners. And whether they are actually hate each other or not, you know, or it's just a, a big play, it doesn't really matter. But that press conference that they had on Thursday was borderline unwatchable. Like, just, you guys don't need to sell the fight. Also, I think we give a lot of MMA people a lot of credit on uh, their mic skills, let's say. Like, their, their ability to be professional wrestlers. It almost makes me look at professional wrestlers and go, you guys are a lot better at this. That's amazing. So, Covington has the rare ability to wrestle at an extremely high pace when it's necessary. And strike at an extremely high pace when necessary. The combination of the two, on top of his outstanding cardio, make him one of the toughest fighters to beat on a per-round basis. And considering that cardio, wrestling, and toughness, it's a challenge to knock him out or submit him as well. He's not the most technical striker in the sport, you know, but being an elite technician is kind of overrated in my opinion. And Coveting has proven that it's not just necessary to simply have success throwing strikes at a high enough rate that he's able to land more than he's able to get hit in return. Masvidal doesn't rate out very well from the metrics point of view. Though he's arguably more skillful and technical than Covington as a striker, Masvidal lands 4.22 significant strikes per minute and absorbs only 3.01 per minute. That's a very strong mark, and in that theory would suggest he's capable of competing with Covington at range. A comparable fight to look at that could give us a glimpse into the stats of Masvidal's fight is with Usman. And both of these guys have fought Usman, and both of them fought him recently. Usman landed five takedowns and earned 16 minutes and 38 seconds of control time in a 25-minute fight. In that contest, Masvidal was controlled against the cage for large stretches of time and was held down on his back for long stretches as well. Masvidal typically isn't an aggressive pressure fighter either. He's not likely to back Covington down against the cage where Covington can't defend himself. If anything, it'll be Covington on the front foot backing Masvidal against the cage. That's what I'm expecting here. I'm expecting Covington will bring the pace that Masvidal has historically not been able to keep up with, and especially that additional wrestling upside. Covington will want to grind Masvidal against the cage take him down and, and force him to work. Maybe Covington doesn't hold Masvidal down there for a dozen minutes, but it's quite likely that in a 25-minute fight, he'll earn enough control time in the clinch and on the mat to make a difference in rounds. I think the Covington to win by decision holds value right now, especially if you can find it in a plus number. So go shop around a little bit. It's a viable play, but otherwise, 
I'd take a shot on the fight as a whole to end by decision, which gives us like an extra out just in case Masvidal gets his hand raised. I don't know how, but in a decision because maybe his cardio is, you know, finally working. We're going to take Covington minus 300 to win. We're going to take via decision minus 110, and we'll take a cover bet. Fight goes to decision in general at minus 130. It's a big, it's a big UFC card, so we're going to f- sneak in two more fights here too under bet number one. I hope doesn't anyone, don't, no one gets mad at us, okay? We're losing more money. This is, this is the name of the game. Come on. So the original main event for the fight night two weeks ago was uh, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev. Uh, it had to be pushed back to this week, and then it was scheduled to take place in five rounds of the co-main event. Unfortunately, Fiziev pulled out with COVID, so this fight is never destined to happen. I don't know. It's cursed or something like that. Someone check a monkey's paw. So the entire lightweight division had been clamoring to step in on short notice. You saw it all on social media. Who's going to come in to replace Fiziev? So granted, <laughs> he, did, <laughs> he did fight last week, but it was interesting that Dana White kind of sold Islam Mikheyev out because he was like, well, we offered it to him and he declined. It's like, well, why, why, why in the world would you sell him out like that? Renato Moicano ultimately won that spot and will be flying over from Brazil on short notice to step in. Moicano just fought and beat Alexander Hernandez at UFC 271. And if you don't remember, this is UFC 272. So yeah, short notice, which was three weeks ago. It was three weeks ago. Desanios is a brilliant fighter who's competed with some of the best talents in the sport for years and years. He, honestly, he's fought the guys in their primes like Ben Henderson and Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis. He fought Habib. He fought Tony Ferguson. He fought Eddie Alvarez. He fought Nate Diaz. Even moving up to Walter Wade, he fought both Covington and Usman. Like, literally, his strength of competition is arguably the best in UFC history. It's nuts. But he's 37 years old now and likely declining. Not in terms of being, like, a done fighter. Like, he's not shot or unable to compete at a high level. But there are young and hungry opponents who are just a step ahead. And Desanos might not be there in his current state. Simply betting on Desanos for being a fighter who has been preparing for a five-round fight is not an incorrect take. Desanos was lined up at his minus 200 favorite in this matchup when it opened. But I see him down to minus 165 some places, which I think is a much more reasonable number. I do expect the odds to shift throughout the week once more action is put down by the public bettors. However, outside of the cardio and the short notice angle, there is, would be no reason for me to back Dosanos as a moderate favorite. If anything, I'm interested in taking the longer underdog on Makano. I see his line priced all the way from 140 to 155 to ultimately 160, which is a lot more intriguing to me. We're going to take Renato Makano at plus 160 to shock the world, and we're going to do it with a little sprinkle via decision at plus 230. Two. Okay, one last fight I want to get into. One, one last fight. I, I know, I know, one last fight. Okay, Bryce Mitchell versus Edison Barboza. So Mitchell is a very good fighter. He holds a strong, strong record of 14-1 right now. He's won each of his five bouts in the UFC to date. Four have come by decision, with the fifth coming the way of a twister, which is a crazy submission that very, very rarely been done in the UFC. I would go recommend you go to YouTube and look that up. Sully Mitchell has been faced off against better and better competition. Salas, Rosa, Feely, which is a fight that I really want to hammer on here. And that victory was an impressive one, considering how experienced Feely is and how competent he is in all areas of his game. The downsides are evident against Feely, who took a round two by defending those takedowns, outstriking Mitchell at a range. And Mitchell is tough and aggressive, but he's not the most developed striker. And he he has a bit of a vulnerability at that point. Barboza, though, (laughs) what can you say? He's far and away the toughest challenge in Mitchell's career. Barboza, top-notch kickboxer, with some of the most devastating leg kicks in the sport. He has a knockout victory over Benal Dariush, who's a really kind of up-and-coming guy, and put on one of the worst beatings in recent memory against Dan Hooker. Holy smokes. There's a real concern for me here. Barboza may successfully defend the first takedown attempt, and maybe the second, but can he defend the third, the fourth, the fifth? Mitchell attempted 13 takedowns against Feely. Can Barboza defend all 13 takedowns? My guess is he can't, 
and Mitchell has a variety of takedown attempts and showed a level of pressure against Feely that should serve him well against Barboza. Even though he's not on the top, pushing Barboza backwards, he should be able to limit Barboza's ability to land damage with leg strikes. And that could put Mitchell in an area of control. Personally, I generally side with the wrestlers in these kind of scenarios. It's just so much easier. It's so much more calming for the, your money nerves. It's, it's very likely Mitchell can earn more than zero takedowns. I do think Mitchell's going to land a takedown, two takedowns, three takedowns. And if he can land those, that honestly might be enough for him to control Barbosa on the ground and win by decision. I also believe Mitchell has more takedown upside than that as well, just based on the willingness to attempt them relentlessly. I could be more nervous about Mitchell winning inside the distance, but Barbosa survived all a full three rounds with Khabib. So that's why I think my last bet for UFC 272, I'm going to take Mitchell and Barbosa over two and a half rounds at minus 110. So those are our bets for UFC 272. Kind of a chock full card, kind of a weird card to be honest, but I think there's some opportunity to make money. Let us know how you're going to lose money on UFC 272. And let's get over to bet number two. The NFL Combine. The what? We're going to bet on the NFL Combine? Okay, we're going to bet off. We're going to bet on the NFL Combine. So if you don't know, the NFL Combine is a place where all the prospective draftees for the NFL get to Indianapolis and run in straight lines or jump or lift heavy things. It's, a, it's an incredibly weird sport. Like, I just, the Combine blows my mind because... The 40-yard dash, right? We, we get them all to run the 40-yard dash. We get them to run in what? Spikes? No, track shoes. Oh, okay. Well, they start, they start at a sprinter's box? Why is that? Because they, in football, they never start with their hands on the ground. Well, they do. Do they run in pads? No. <laughs> offensive linemen have to run a 40-yard dash? Yeah. Why? When in the world would an f- offensive lineman have to run 40 yards straight unless it was a pick six or your guy is running 60 yards down the field? It's just the weirdest thing because it doesn't seem to have a lot of practical application back to the sport that we're trying to care about them for. Weird, weird. But I want to lose money on it, so we're going to do it. So, okay, here's, here's a couple. We got, a, we got a couple here we're going to do. First one is for the, the 40. We're going to take Wondell Robinson under 4.45 in the 40-yard dash. Robinson stepped onto Kentucky's campus last year, and the only plausible thought the coaching staff could have drummed up is, well, you're faster than pretty much everyone else on the team. Let's just throw you the ball as much as possible, and, and then, I don't know, figure it out. He was a Nebraska transfer, and he led the 22 class in target rate, from behind the line of scrimmage, and on frequent occasions, snagged a couple of souls in the open field. You watch this guy on tape, and the straight line speed is just, like, effortless. He was once clocked in a 4.22 in the 40, which ultimately earned him a scholarship to Alabama right out of high school. For someone with a couple of question marks, and he's on the shorter side of the height-wise, and, and he played at Kentucky, which is not a great, school, not a great you know, football school, the burner speed is the key to boosting a draft stock. I think he's going to come out flying. We're going to take the under 4.44. The other one on the opposite side is tight end Jake Ferguson. We're going to take over 4.76 yards on the 40-yard dash. So Jake Ferguson, good tight end, right? The, the recently fired Bears regime is already fuming that they can't draft him. Ferguson was excellent at Wisconsin, though not splashy. His, his workout numbers are great, and he consistently came down with contested targets. He's, he might be a really good tight end. The only downside is he's not entirely fast at a position that requires a little bit more speed and athleticism than it once did. Ferguson's sound across the board. He can block. He caught more than 30 passes uh, at Wisconsin, and he's uber-athletic with a knock for using his body to fend off to vetters. They call him Baby Gronk. He could be the next Gronkowski. Who, I don't think so, but who knows? But right now, he's Rob Gronkowski at 37 years old, not at 22. So we're going to take the over 4.76 yards. Okay, in the last one, we're going to do the bench press, and it's for wide receiver George Pickens. And we're going to be taking the under 13 and a half reps. Okay, this is just starting to feel insane. But I actually have a theory on this one. So take, take this for what it's worth. But Pickens is long. 
Now, he's 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 got a lot of length, okay? Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing for a receiver, especially when you can extend, you know, and jump over people and catch things. But take it for someone who doesn't skip Mondays, a.k.a. chest day, at a local LA Fitness. Getting 225 up and down 14 times ain't easy when you have the wingspan of a basketball player. Pickens is no slouch. He's 6'3", he's over 200 pounds, but I simply <laughs> don't think he can bench two plates 14 times. Also, a new rule for next year that if you are taking the over or under, especially the under, in bench press, you are required to travel to the combine. You're required to travel to Indiana, look that player directly in the face before they're up and go, I bet you can't do that 14 times. And then take your life in your own hands. We're going to take George Pickens under 14 reps, and God may have mercy on our souls. Let's go to bet number three. An interesting NHL stat. Oh, yes. Okay. So this is a very interesting stat that I want to kind of use. So we've been preaching about the live bets. We love live betting here. Uh, it's often when, you know, a good team goes down, you, you kind of can jump on a little bit of advantage because the numbers swing a little bit. But how you're doing that, the, you know, it seems to be wildly swinging between, you know, like, this is the reason I do it. Oh, I felt like this this time. Well, that's kind of crazy because in gambling, we often are choosing a reason for that. There's a stat that we like. There's a player that's coming back. This coach is bad on the road against that. that. There's reasons why we do this. But live betting, it seems more like a feel. So I wanted to add a little bit of science to this. So I'm going to bring up when these players score, their teams win. This is the top NHL win rate by scoring players. Okay. It's as of March 2nd, 2022. So a couple days ago. So, okay, there's a couple of them that I want to just bring up, and then I want to get into two specifically. Mason Marchment, when he scores for Florida, they're 7-0. and That's kind of crazy, right? But we get, it gets a little bit further. When Patrick Liney scores for the Blue Jackets, they're 13-1. and When Mitch Marner scores for the Leafs, they're 14-1. and Whoa. Kind of 14-1 is becoming a little more than a trend, right? So let's get to the last two here. When Sebastian Ahu scores for the Carolina Hurricanes, they're 17-1. and So he began 17-0. and until upset in overtime, loss to the Red Wings on March 1st. So, like, this was perfect up until then. However, this isn't just, like, a one-time thing. The Hurricanes are 90-43 and 43 all-time when Ajo finds the net. If you had bet $100 on the Hurricanes to win, you'd have the profits of $3,000 in the games that Ajo scores. Yikes. The other one is, even more impressive, Gabriel Landeskog for the Avalanche. They're 20-1 and one when he scores. So, Funny enough, the Colorado Avalanche are now the best team in the NHL because they have the best odds to win the Stanley Cup at a, like a scant plus 400. That's crazy. When Captain Gabriel Landeskog scores, they're even better. They have a 74% win rate overall. But when Landeskog scores, it goes up to 95% when he fills the net. Live betting the abs may not seem like a great value, but they become a near lock when Landeskog scores. Just wanted to throw that out there for bet number three. Recap. Yes, it's recap time. So those are our three bets. We'll be posting them on social media, so you can go check those out as well. But we want to do a little recap from last weekend. Here's our record check. We parlayed Bakayev inside the distance at minus 250 with Sarukian minus 200 for a plus 320 parlay on the last fight night. It won, and that's another three units up. So record check. That brings us to plus 41 units on picks given on the podcast. That is bananas. Considering there were some lowlights in the football season, I can't believe we're still doing that well. Also, God help every single one of you if my golf picks hit this weekend. On social, we gave out golf picks. Uh, and right now, as of recording, Billy Horschel at plus 4,500 and Victor Hovland at plus 1,600 share the lead to win the Arnold Palmer Invitational. God help you. God help you if one of those hit. So the daily picks for the week, uh, okay, time to eat some humble pie. Uh, they were not as good. I went 11-15. So a losing week, but if that golf comes through, oh my God, and once again, a warning, I will be the greatest gambler ever. But until then, I'll just keep losing money.
Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Go to at losingmoneywab for daily picks. They have to be better than last week. They're on Twitter, on Instagram, and we'll see you next week. See you later, losers. He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!